very warm welcome to you from Equa Marketing. This presentation is brought to you by Equa.com, a leader in digital marketing. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Growing Dentist podcast show. Today, I'm super excited to have somebody who I just had uh, in the show not too long ago, Chuck Blakeman. He's the founder of Got Summit. Uh, he focuses on taking dentists and dental practices, you know, play a smarter game, uh, more passionate game of business. And um, Chuck, welcome back. Thank you so much, Naren. It's great to be with you. Yeah, for those uh, listeners who missed that last amazing episode we did and uh, all the wisdom you shared, um, let's start by summarizing, you know, some of the things we covered there. Sure. Yeah, we, we talked to, we went through the beliefs hierarchy and, and people, uh, dentists want to know why is my practice, why does it look the way it does? Why do I have disengaged people? Why do I have chaos and anarchy? Or why do I have order? Why do I have, why, why does my practice look the way it does? And I always say to people, the chaos is not in your practice. The chaos is in your head. And if you want to look at what is in your head, take a look at your practice. If you don't like what's in your practice, that's a reflection of what's in your head. And this goes all the way to our legacy, to the way that our destiny as a practice. I've been doing this. I, I have one uh, practice we're working with. And we're really working hard to help them with this idea. And the dentist says it's been this way for 18 years and I can't seem to fix it. Well, that's because he kept trying to fix the practice instead of trying to fix the way he viewed the practice. So this is about, to begin with, beliefs. And we went through this the last time. And to your point, uh, we don't have time to do it today, but we can send people back to that podcast with a little bit of, I'll, I'll bait them with this hierarchy here to help them see the, the value of this and why your beliefs determine your destiny. So here's the, here's the uh, chain of, of events. Your beliefs determine your values. For instance, if I believe someone is smart and motivated, then I value them highly. Your belief determines your values. Your values determine your thoughts. If I value people highly, then I think of them highly, and I, and I think of them as, as important and, and irreplaceable. Your beliefs determine your values. Your values determine your thoughts. Now we enter the visible world. Your thoughts determine your actions. And that's where our actions come from. It's our beliefs, values, and thoughts that make us act the way we do. Our acts determine our habits. And our habits are in business a lot of times, our processes that are default. We just do things. We've done it this way so many times. This has been our action so many times that it becomes our habit. And you do something long enough, it becomes your habit. And your habit then over time becomes the character or the culture or the ethos of the, of the practice itself. And that character determines your destiny. So beliefs determine your, your values. Your values determine your thoughts. Your thoughts determine your your actions, your actions determine your, your habits, your habits determine your character or your culture, and your culture determines your destiny. You want to know why you are where you are, it starts with your beliefs. Like I said, we don't have time to go through back through that again today, but we did a wonderful dissection of that in our last podcast, so I heavily encourage people to go back and listen to that to see how we're going to build on that today. Absolutely, and you gave a lot of examples, which is what I thought was um, you know, so, you know, made it come alive because, um, you know, like, like you said, if you think people are lazy and uh, not into doing what's best, then that's going to 
come out in your values and so forth and so forth. So I think, I think one of the principles that comes out of that podcast is that both a practice where people are smart and motivated and a practice where people appear to be stupid and lazy or disengaged. Both of those are self-fulfilling prophecies and they both depend on, on what belief the, the uh, dentist has about those people very subtly it comes out. They don't even know it. And that's, that's our job is to help them see, do you realize that this little subtle thing that you're saying right here causes you to act this way in your practice? And it's very revealing and very helpful. Yeah. We, we got a lot of people listening to it and, and um, watching it on the website. Um, um, how do you want to, where do you want to go today, Chuck? Like, where do you want to take this today? Well, we can take this anywhere because the exciting thing is once you understand that it's about your business beliefs, what you believe about work and success and leadership and people, those are the business. Once you have those business, once we understand the impact of those, then we understand that those take us anywhere we want to go. So let's, let's just choose something to play with. Let's say <coughs> uh, I get to a lot of practices who hire us because – they say, in fact, I had one in, uh, I love the, one of our practices in Idaho. He, uh, he uh, when he first talked to us, he said, I've got some people who have some stinking thinking. And when I asked him what he meant by that stinking thinking, he said, well, it's, it's just people don't seem to be engaged. They, they just wait around for somebody else to tell them what to do. They're not thinking well. They're not using their brains. They're just sort of going through the motions. So we can, we can play with that one and we can see how beliefs determine that happening. Uh, and, and this is a doctor who would never, he's deeply respectful of his people. He would never say they're stupid and lazy. But, but, when, but there's subtle versions of that belief where they're not stupid and lazy, but I am more, I'm a more invested. I have more time. I have more money in this practice. I have, uh, I have more education. I spent more years doing this. So I think I probably know more than they do what they need. And there's a very subtle desire. Even if you're desiring to help people, you're going to tell them what to do. So uh, I would suggest that, that people are dis- disengaged. Here's the, here's the sort of the overview, and we can dig into this. People are disengaged because you are managing them instead of leading them. And what I mean by that is that uh, people are not stupid and lazy or they don't have stinking thinking. Management causes them. When we manage them, it causes them to pull back and to stop thinking. It's our issue. It's not theirs. And, it's, and that, it takes some time for a practice leader to get their, their idea, you know, get their, their, their mind around that, that we are the ones actually causing them, for the most part, to not be engaged. We just assume that some people are engaged and some people aren't, and we hope we get the ones that are. We hope we're lucky enough to get some that are. It's not that case. I would say that the overwhelming majority of people are highly, will be highly engaged if you allow it or require it. And yes, there are a very small minority. If you have 15 people in your practice, you might have one or two that shouldn't, that they just will never get engaged. And if that's, the tr- it's, if that's true, the, the other 13 will push them out or they will leave on their own usually. And you will end up with 100% engaged people. All right, so, so let's look at the difference between, you know, what, what causes someone to be a manager versus a leader? I, I've got a uh, bias on this that uh, I've, I've studied management and the history of management and the history of leadership. And these two things are so different 
that uh, they they have nothing in common. I, I, I write for Inc. Magazine, and I wrote an Inc. article a couple years ago, and the title of it was, Leaders and Managers Have Nothing in Common. And it's, it's really the truth. Leadership comes from a, a different place. It comes from inspiration and motivation and guidance and mentoring, vision, uh, inspiring people, and interestingly from the word servant. The ancient Greek for the word leader is servant. We don't think of leadership that way. The leader is the servant. He says, how can I help you be successful? How can I use my, my power and my authority, not for myself, but to make you better and to put you in a better position to create resources and connections and, and training and whatever you need? How can I make your life better? That's, what, that's the history of leadership. Unfortunately, the history of management goes back to slavery. When you look at Hammurabi's code and, and Hammurabi's writings way back thousands of years ago, the only mentions of management have to do with slavery, not with free people. You don't manage free people because they are, uh, they're smart and motivated, and so are slaves, but they have no reason to be smart and motivated at work because they're not going to get anything out of it. So you have to stand over them and manage them. That is the roots of management. So you can see these things come from two very different places. Slavery turned into to serfdom when you no longer were a slave to the to the king or the lord, you were a slave to the land. And you owed them a serfdom, uh, you owed them a, a uh, an indentured servitude for the land that you that you had 80 somewhere around 80% of all of your your goods went in tax to the person who owned the land. And you were still a serf, so you needed to be managed because you were getting very little out of this. You look at history, the history of leadership, and it's very different. People follow them. So here's, here's, a, here's, a, here's one fundamental difference. Managers have reports. Leaders have followers. You think about this through history. Managers have reports. I only report to you because you have a title that says you have more power than I do and you can fire me. You have the power to harm me or the power to harm my position. That's a, that's a manager's role is I can fire you. A leader inspires. A, leaders have, a leader looks around them and they have people following because those people find that that person adds value to their life. So we can just stop on that for a second if you have any thoughts or comments on that. But you, can you see how these two things are, as we develop this, we're going to find out that in the dental practice today, we think we're supposed to be managing people. And I'm going to say, no, you should lead them. One leads to disengagement. The other leads to Absolutely. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, I, I totally hear what you're saying. I'm not, you know, that smart as you are. So you have so much more experience on this. Can we do this, Chuck? Can we kind of... Uh, like I like visuals. So can you kind of walk me through literally like take me by the hand and take me into a practice um, that has the wrong mindset and how, you know, you, you transform, you know, their beliefs. And, and then of course, all the six things. And again, I, I don't want to do all at once, but let's break it up. So, right. Okay. Um, yeah. So let's, I, I will take a fictitious practice that is sort of a, uh, uh, I, I have a practice in mind where we're working with, and, and it might, I might bring some things in from another practice. But we started with this practice owner, and he said, hey, nobody's engaged. And so I asked him, well, can you tell me how you operate with these people? And he said, what do you well, mean? I said, well, when he said nobody's engaged, what was he telling you that 
Yeah. He just yeah. hates his job. He's not making money. Like what, what, what was he mean? What does, what did he mean? What he means what is that people would, yeah, people would only do things uh, when, when he wasn't there, people tend to work less. And when, uh, and, and they would only change things or improve things that he told them to change or improve. He could see things that they could do better and they never thought about it. They never, they never asked themselves, how can we get better at this? It was all on the doctor to tell them what to do. And he was feeling tired of oh, literally yeah. like, you know, pushing yeah, we, people and pushing people. And it just, yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little later about our, our got summit, but the, the word got G O T T stands for get off the treadmill. It's for dentists only. And it's, and that's the objective is to get them off the treadmill. And you just, you hit the nail on the head when people are managing, when dentists are managing, it saps the life out of them. They feel like they're on a treadmill they can never get off of because they didn't sign up to manage all these people who are acting like children. They signed up to be a great dentist. And I, I'm so busy managing this practice and managing these people that it just, it's not, it's not the highest and best use of my time. It's not my, the thing that I find joy in. And so it just wears them out. So this person was exactly there and there and he was exactly there. I'm, I'm worn out. I've come to the end of myself. I feel like just going and joining somebody else's practice or, or uh, allowing some corporate dentistry to just buy me because I don't want to manage this thing anymore. So he was very tired because of, of management. So that was the situation. So I asked him, well, tell me how, give me a scenario. Let's say, uh, and this was a real scenario. Let's say the acceptance rate for your practice from the front desk or, or from the treatment coordinators, whoever does it, your acceptance rate is too low. On average, it's somewhere between 60 and 80% dental intel there. I'm a big fan of numbers and, and what dental intel does. And uh, dental intel says somewhere between 60 and 80% is, is the normal acceptance rate for treatment. Well, uh, this practice that I had in my mind was at 29%. That's not good. And so I said, okay, let's deal with that one specific situation. And let's think like a manager versus a leader. I'm just going to ask you, how would you fix that? How did you attempt to fix that? He said, well, I found it. First of all, I'm the one who had to identify that number, 29%. And I took it to them and I showed it to them and I told them this is not acceptable. And I said, okay, let's stop right there. Here's the principle. Here's one of the principles that divides manager from leader that will help engage those people. What you did was you told them something. And I know that that's our reflex. It's so much easier to tell people stuff. But here's, here's the principle. Here's principle number one. Managers tell, leaders ask. So let's back up and let's, let's think about this. How could you have done this differently when you found this statistic and you brought it to them? What's a, more, what's a better way to get them engaged than to say, this is unacceptable? And he, it took him, it actually took him a little bit because it's so obvious it's not obvious. But what came of it was this, Naren, that he finally got to it. He said, well, I could have asked them, how do you guys feel about this? Do you think this is acceptable? And, and find out what they think. Because if they all say, sure, yeah, 29 is great. Well, that's great information. You need to get that information from them that they all think that bad performance is okay. Or they might say, wow, you know, we didn't see, we didn't, we, we weren't looking at that. We didn't know to look at that. Uh, wow, that, yeah, that's half of what the rest of the world is doing or even less. 
yeah, we have to admit that's not good. All right, so just that simple act right there, you've done something very profound. You've engaged them and you've asked them to turn their brains on and to, to begin to solve the problem themselves. And that leads us to the second piece of that same managers tell leaders ask. Managers solve and decide. Leaders train others to solve and decide. So I ask him, well, so, so you told them this is unacceptable, acceptable, and then what did you do next? He said, then I gave them how, how they should uh, fix it, that they need to say this, they need to come up with from some frequently stated objections, and they need to, uh, and here are, here's what I think are the three most frequently stated objections, and they need to uh, come up with an answer for how they would answer those, and I gave them the answer. I even gave them the answers. I gave them everything they needed to, to change this, and nothing changed. And you can see where I'm going with this. I said, well, let's back this up and let's ask differently. So first, you got them to admit that it was a bad number. Right. The second thing you should do then is ask them, how would you fix this? You ask a question instead of making a con uh, telling them what you think. You ask them, what do they think? And you can see why we do. It's really obvious why we would do the former. Why would we do the former? It's simply because it's so much easier. I already know what the right answer is. Let me just tell them what they should do. And, and, and you know, we don't have time for this crap. We just need, we got a practice to run here. Let's just tell them what to do and then they should just go do it. Human beings don't work that way. You can do that with a machine. You can reprogram a machine and it will work it differently immediately because you've given it different data. But what you're doing is you're running up against a very fundamental uh, uh, tenet of humanity. One of the problems with the way we came out of the industrial age was that in the industrial age, people became extensions of machines. You told the machine what to do. You tied the, you, the, the human being to the machine and you told the human being to operate just like the machine, do exactly what the machine wants you to do. You, don't, you no longer have a brain. You simply react to what the machine and the manager tells you what to do. And that is fully dehumanizing. What's the one question I'll ask you, uh, the, the, you know, the, you got the reporter's questions, who, what, when, where, how, and why? An animal might ask itself, what am I going to eat today? Or where am I going to eat it? Or how am I going to catch it? But what is the one question the animal will never ask? The why? most human of questions. It's why. That's why? the most human of questions. What is the one question you've not been allowed to ask unless you're the dentist for 150 years in dentistry. Why? Right. Doctor, why are we doing it this way? Why don't we do it that way? I thought of another, I mean, you just, you're considered a rebel, you're, you're considered a rebel, an outcast, a misfit. You're rebelling against authority when in fact what you're doing is you're being human. Okay, so you want people to not ask why? You are gonna reduce them to animal status. They're gonna shut up, they're gonna sit down, they're gonna live invisibly and they're gonna go out quietly. And now you have disengaged people because you stripped them of your humanity. You have got to get them back to where you allow and you require. It's not even an option. You, I re allow and require you to ask questions, all of them, especially why. Question everything. So I'm gonna teach you how to do that. First of all, do you think this was a good uh, uh, result? No, it's not. How would you and maybe the first thing to ask would be why, uh, why, why do you think we're getting this result? And, and get them to come up with an answer for that. And the answer probably is going to be, number one, we weren't paying attention. We didn't have any metric to shoot at. 
Number two, we don't have a process for actually thinking through how we, how we uh, get our acceptance rate up. Okay, so I'd like you guys to, would you guys work on, on a process? Figure out a process for how you get this new result. Maybe we back up one step. I didn't say this, but that would be another good question. Where do you think we should be? What should be our metric? Here's what dental intel says. What do you think we should get? And again, if they come up with, well, we think 29 is bad and 30 is good, even though 60% is what dental intel says we ought to have, then that too is good information. That's much better information than if you simply told them what to do. Now you know you've got a big problem in your hands. You've got people shooting way too low and you have to deal with that problem first. What usually happens then is that people will shoot too high. Well, if 29 is where we're at and 60% is where dental intel is going to be, then we're going to be at 80. <laughs> Right. And they shoot much higher. So you have to help them figure that out. Okay, so let's agree on a result desired. And this leads us to another tenet of the difference between managing and leading. Managers focus on process. Leaders focus on result. A manager will say, I'm going to tell you how. That's the poisonous question coming from the manager. I'm going to tell you how to do things. A leader will say, what should we do? What is the result we should get? And we agree together on that result. And then he turns the how over to those people. Okay, we agree that in the next three months, we're going to get it from 29% to 38% or 40%. I'm going to leave it in your hands. And I, want to, I, I, I would like you guys to figure out how you intend to get it from 29 to 40. Come up with a process. Well, doctor, we don't know how to do processes. Okay, then I will train you on processes. I will train you on how to do this. So here's some questions you can ask yourself to get from 29% to 40%. Rather than the doctor doing it himself, he's going to involve them in the process. And he's going to teach them how to do that. And that's one of the things we do with, with uh, teams is we teach them how to, to start thinking again and develop processes and those kinds of things. So he gets them to come up with a process and they come up with a process and they bring it back to him and he has two options again. He can look at, and, at it and tell. He can be a manager and he can tell. Hey, this practice, th this process is awful. Here's how you should fix it. That's what a manager would do. That's going to disengage them immediately. A leader would say, okay, well, I don't understand this part of your process right here. Can you lead me through why this part of the process <laughs> will help you be more effective? And he might be surprised. He might, uh, he might think that's a terrible piece of the process, but when they explain it, he might, they might, he might find out they actually have a good, they're onto something there. And he would have never thought of it. So again, managers tell, leaders ask, managers focus on process, leaders focus on result. I'm going to work with you to understand your process so that we both feel comfortable that you've got a good process. I'm not going to tell you what the process is. I'm going to ask you to get one. And then I'm going to ask you hard questions until we both get to the point where we agree that this is a good process. And then I'm going to ask you to run it to the metric. Okay, so this is the process. And this is the result we've both agreed to. We want 40% in three months. Two weeks from now, we're going to look at it again. And if it's still 29%, I'm going to come back to you and ask you why your process isn't working. I'm going to ask you more hard questions. But you can see the very subtle difference here is that these people are now, they designed the process. And, the, and someone from the outside asks them good questions without threatening them, not without making them feel stupid. But he has good hard questions to help them improve their process, but it's their process. And here's, here's one of the key results that creates engagement. 
when you give people tasks, that's managers tell. Managers give people tasks. When you give people tasks, they feel used. Put this nut on that bolt or do follow this exact process that I came up with for how to raise your acceptance rates. When you do that, people feel used. Give them a task, they feel used. Give them a responsibility and they take ownership. The responsibility has to do with the result. The task has to do with the process. Put this nut on that bolt or follow this process to get good uh, acceptance rates. The responsibility uh, has to do with the result. We agree together you're going to get 40% in three months. I'm going to give you that responsibility. It's yours, and it's yours to figure out how you get there. When you give people responsibility, they take ownership. And the point of that is that ownership is the most powerful motivator in business. I get to own my process, my tasks, my job description, my, uh, my impact on the practice around me. Uh, Daniel Pink covered this stuff in his book, uh, Drive. Autonomy, mastery, and purpose. That's right. ownership. So that's what we're driving toward here is how do we create ownership? We give responsibility. How do we have responsibility? We focus on the result and we ask a lot of questions to get them to, to come up with the process themselves. So you can, you can see how we're diverging here from management into leadership and creating engagement instead of stopping it. Absolutely. So <clears throat> let's um, take this a little bit further. So you have this practice, the doctor feels like he's on a treadmill, he just wakes up in the morning, he hates showing up and he just tells people what to do and same old, same old, nothing is improving. He's just, you know, tired, you know, he feels, you know, like giving up and, you know, maybe even closing shop and going home, right? He yeah. just he never seems to get out of it. You come in, you um, make him realize uh, the number one problem is just that starting with his beliefs and his uh, values, and then his thoughts, and then his actions, uh, and then his habits, and then finally the culture, and then uh, what's the last one? Uh, the, the, the destiny, that destiny. our culture determines where we end up as a practice 20 years from now. Uh, right. Um, he has this everything upside down, the wrong beliefs, and so forth and so forth, right? Yes. So how do you start peeling this off? Like, do you kind of, uh, like, where do you start? Do you start by, I, I don't know, I'm just like, yeah. I would like to be somebody who's kind of watching you, you know. Right. So the, the first thing I would do, the first thing we would do is we would go into the practice and we would do, uh, we would do interviews. We'll do a survey, depending on the size. We're just starting with a new client uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area. They have four practices, have about 50 people and a very successful practice. We're going to go in. The first thing we'll do is we're going to send them all a survey, all 50 people, with you know, just a few questions, eight or 10 questions that will help us understand. Uh, it will give us a beginning uh, place, a sort of a, a baseline for how much management is going on and how much leadership is going on. And then we will actually spend time out there. We don't usually do this. Uh, but this practice wants us to do it. We'll, we'll go to, if someone has a, a, a couple locations, we can, in one day at their practice, we can go out and interview all these people and figure out pretty well where we're going. But this practice has us spending an entire day in all of the four practices. So that's a little bit unusual, but we'll do that. And we'll get great information and we'll do interviews of four or five or six people We'll, do, we'll interview a hygienist and somebody from the front desk and a doctor and the accountant or whatever. We'll just get five or six interviews 
during the day and we'll ask the exact same five or six questions of every single one of those so we can begin to pick up patterns. And that will give us information. And then we interview the owner or owners and we get their perspective on how they think it's going. So we, we, we juxtapose how the owner thinks it's going against how everyone else is seeing it happen. And we find deltas in those two things. But what we do is that that gives us a baseline for where to start on a, uh, on a practical basis with, uh, okay, this practice really has a lot of trust. A lot of leadership is going on. We just need to help them give, uh, give birth to it and give names to it and, and put processes around it. Or these guys are really deeply into management. There's going to be a lot of walking backwards before we walk frontwards. So we, we, take that, we take that information and then we begin to work with them on uh, specific situations. Let's take a team. You know, what, what, what's your biggest pain point right now? What's the biggest problem you have right now? Well, it's the front desk or it's hygiene or it's fill in the blank. And let's take those guys and let's work with them and let's, let's see how, how are you trying to solve this problem? And I'll, so, so that was the scenario I gave you with the front desk and the acceptance rate. How are you trying to solve this problem? Well, I'm telling them that it's bad and I'm telling them they should do something different. Okay, let's, let's retrain the way you do that and let's go about this differently for the next situation. So we give them, we take real life situations like that and we work them through. Here's another example that just came in, into mind uh, just from a couple of weeks ago. One of the dentists we've been working with for a while who's completely on board with this, he finally realizes that even though he loves everybody in his practice and they love him, it's a great relationship. There's a lot of trust. The fact is that he has habits that came out of the industrial age that he doesn't even know he has. And when they're identified, he realizes, yeah, I don't like that about me. Uh, and that's not me. That's just a habit I have that has come from years of belief systems that came out of the industrial age. So this is an example. We got on our phone call. We work with, we generally do a couple calls a month and then we come out maybe once or twice or three times a year. So we're on our phone call and the dentist, uh, and he's with his two leaders of the practice and he says, okay, he's all excited. He says, I've come up with an incentive plan because we, we want to change incentives to be results-based instead of time-based. And that's a whole nother conversation, but uh, that, that engages people. So he said, I've come up with a results-based incentive plan for our hygienists and I'm all excited about it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share it with them when we get off the phone. And I just asked him, I just very casually asked him, I said, okay, well, that's cool. That's interesting. You know, absolutely great that you're doing that work and that you want to do something better for your hygienist. Let me ask you a question. Do you know, have you asked what motivates your hygienist? What incentive, what would actually incentivize them? Have you asked them? And he, you, we, we do uh, video calls and, and you could see him looking in pale into the mic and he said, well, no, I haven't. And he was uncomfortable. I said, well, why, why haven't you asked them what would incentivize them? Because I'm afraid they'll come up with something wild and crazy that we can't, we can't afford or can't support as a practice. And now I'm stuck having to do something that, that uh, we can't do. And so he just had a little bit of a, a misunderstanding <coughs> of that. And, and his practice leader, again, there's a lot of trust there. His practice leader leaned over to him during the call and said, well, why do you think you have to do it just because they said it? And I said, exactly. This is a conversation. 
they're going to come up with what they think would be a good incentive. And then you as the owner have to say, Hey, that works great for the practice. Or, you know what, that doesn't work. It may work great for you guys, but that's going to put the practice out of business. And as a result, you guys won't have an incentive. So we got to figure something else out. Keep trying. Here's some other questions you could ask. So this is a conversation you get to ask. Remember managers tell and leaders ask. And when they come back with their incentive program and it doesn't fit what you can do in the practice, then you start asking hard questions. Well, how, how will this work? Well, now the profit that the practice needs is X. And if you guys run off with that kind of incentive, then our profit's going to be so low that we're not going to be able to stay in business. And so how can we fix that? You ask a lot of hard questions. You get involved in a conversation and you get them to the point where we all agree together on the result. We want this kind of incentive, and if we, if, we, if we perform this kind of way, we will get that kind of incentive. That motivates us. That works for the practice. Off we go. So this is, again, just another example. So he went, he went to, his, uh, to his credit. He, he put his incentive program in his back pocket, and instead of going to them and telling them what, what great thing he was going to do for them, he went and he asked them what would incentivize them. And he found that there were some things in there that he hadn't thought of. Generally, they got, uh, they got to where he was going, what he needed for the practice, but then he got some things in there that really worked for them. They owned the whole incentive program, and they were all excited about it because they came up with it. All he did was open the door and invite them in and say, hey, let's, let's develop a results-based incentive program. What do you think would work? And their first response, of course, was, hey, we don't know. We've never done this before because see, you're, you're dealing with stinking thinking here. You have to invite them in and then teach them how to engage their brains again. And, and I'm very frank with people in my own business and the dentist should be as well. I am not going to, follow, to figure this out for you. I apologize. For the last five years, all I've done is figure stuff out for you and tell you what to do. I have created a codependent situation. This is a bad habit. We're going to break it. So you might be uncomfortable with this to begin with, but I'm not going to solve and decide anymore. I'm not going to tell. I'm going to ask hard questions and I'm going to focus on the result and I'm going to ask you to solve and decide and I'll do everything I can to train you to get there. So that's a, that's a decision I would make and that's something I would tell. I'm going to tell you that I'm no longer going to tell you. That's, that's a decision I'd make. Right, right. <clears throat> This is um, very interesting. Um, I mean, you have done this for a long time, right, Chuck? So, like, how do you take somebody who's a manager who has all these, you know, baggage, habits, and you know, beliefs, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera, and uh, like, I mean, like, give me like a <clears throat> point of time. Like, how long does it take? Sure. How, do they actually change, or do they end up going back to their old habits when you leave? Yeah, great questions. Uh, yeah, they, they will. They'll, the only reason they would go back to their old habits is if the dentist didn't make this, the, the owner uh, and, the, and the leader, the owner of the practice didn't make this shift themselves. If they don't make the shift, then they're going to continue to very subtly treat the manager like an employee and they're going to tell the manager what to do. And then the manager is going to turn around and tell other what, people what to do. So it's, it's all going to revert. So it is important for for the leadership to be on board with the idea that, that uh, the, the view I have is distorted and I need to fix this. I admit uh, it, it wasn't on purpose. I'm not a bad person. 
I just picked up habits from the industrial age factory system that every practice manager is teaching these days or way too many of them to tell people what to do. And so I just fell into that. So uh, how long does it take? Well, there's a number of different reasons why people would be managing instead of leading. Most of it therein is around the fact that we don't know any better. We've been taught this for the last 100 plus years. And my second book, Why Employees Are Always a Bad Idea, talks about where this idea of management came from and why it's such a caustic thing in business. But generally, the industrial age taught us as as practice leaders and as practice owners that the job of the practice leader and owner is to tell people what to do. I inherited that. It's the way dentistry is run. You and I have both heard this. We might have even said it. I didn't go to dental school, but I've heard it. And I know plenty of uh, dentists who have admitted to it. I've heard this statement many times when someone asked, doctor, why, why are we doing it this way? The response was because I went to medical school and you didn't. <laughs> well, you know, that's, that's not going to create any conversations, nor is that going to create any engagement. That's telling. But, you know, we inherited that. We've been taught to just tell people what to do. Secondly, we do it because it's easier. To begin with, it's much easier. Just do what I told you. I know what works. I've done this before. I've already made the mistake. I don't need us to make that same mistake that I made when I was in my first year of practice. I don't need to be making it for you to be making the same mistake in our 15th year of practice. So I'm just going to do what you do. It's just easier. Okay, fine. It's easier to begin with, but I guarantee you it's harder to begin, harder in the long run, and it's what we started this whole conversation with. You will end up tired because when you tell people what to do, Every time you make a tell statement, you create that much more codependence and that much more stinking thinking and that much less lack of engagement. So you go ahead and tell them because it's easier, but then you realize you are now in that position where for the rest of your life, you're going to have to be telling them what to do and you will never get off that treadmill. Managing is much easier to do in the, long, in the short run and it, it stifles us and destroys our, our momentum and our practice in the long run. Leadership is actually harder to begin with. You, you, I'm sure as, as dentists and, and practice leaders are listening to this, they're thinking, well, it's just easier to say your acceptance rate is 29% and here's what you need to do, get it up. Boom, we're done. It's harder to say, do you think the acceptance rate is acceptable? What do you think we should do to change the acceptance rate? That's hard because that's a conversation and that might take a few days or even a week or two. And I'll have to come back and I'll have to train them how to think. That's a lot of work. But see, if you do that once, now you have created that much less codependence. And now they've learned a little bit more of how to think, how to be more engaged, how to attack these problems, how to find them themselves. And what you see in great practices as they do this, the the uh, dentist is now free to be a dentist if that's what he wants to do and, and, and be in the mouth. And, and everyone else is looking around, finding all the issues in the practice. They're figuring out how to solve them, and they're solving them. So you have a choice. Uh, Douglas McGregor, McGregor wrote a book in 1960. This is not new stuff I'm coming up with here. It just sounds like it. In 1960, he postulated theory X, theory Y. Theory X, people are stupid and lazy. Theory X, people are, or theory Y, people are smart and motivated. And then he looked at a, uh, at a number of businesses where the business owners or the business leaders believed very subtly that they had more to figure out that these people required management because they couldn't figure it out on their own. He looked at those theory X practices 
or, or, man, or businesses and found that everybody there seemed to be stupid and lazy. Then he looked at the theory why uh, businesses where the owners assumed that people were, were smart and motivated, and if they weren't, they were going to require that they be smart and motivated, and anybody who didn't want to be smart and motivated was going to have to leave. And gee, what a surprise, everybody in those businesses were smart and motivated. So I'm, I'm asking you, how is it that let's take two businesses, in fact, I'll give you an, a theory X, theory Y that was a real life bullet, or a real life example from the Navy just a few, about 10 years ago. David Marquette, if people want to read a book, they can write, read mine, Why Employees Are Always a Bad Idea. But here's another good book to help figure out how to get people engaged. Turn the Ship Around by David Marquette. David Marquette was a Navy captain. He inherited the worst rated submarine in the entire U.S. Navy. And in one year, he turned it around and <coughs> made it into the best rated submarine in the entire U.S. Navy. And here's the kicker. He did it with the same 134 people that had made it the worst. What does that tell you? Uh -huh. Theory X, theory Y. The captain before him had theory X. He came into that boat saying, I'm the captain. This is a top-down hierarchy. I, you guys can't function without me. I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm going to manage you and tell you what to do. David Marquette came in. He said, you guys are all smart and motivated. I am not going to tell you what to do. We are all going to lead each other in our areas of expertise. And we are all going to be leaders now. Uh, I expect and require that you all step up and start making decisions. He, he circled, he got him in a, in a meeting and he said, here's the difference. The, the, in the past, you've been in a manager-follower relationship. A manager tells you what to do and you have to follow. Uh, and it's really a manager report situation. Report. Yeah, and then, but I'm going to change that into leader, leader. I will lead you in my areas of expertise. I'm good at where the ship should go next, and I'm good at strategy. I'm really good at those kinds of, those high-level things. But if, you, if you're the chef, you're going to tell me how to run the kitchen. And if you're the torpedo room lieutenant or the engine room lieutenant, you're going to tell me how to run the engine room. I mean, I think this goes even deeper than that, right? I go to dental school, I have a degree and I start a practice because I want to kind of do things the way I want and I want to, you know, right. be comfortable in my life. I never signed up to be a leader huh. I to go to dental school. No. But yeah, what is it, Naren? You get like 200 hours of dental school and I think three hours of it is business and none of it is leadership. Right. Yeah, so so you've got it right there. We're not it's a, it's a rude awakening sort of thing. I went into dentistry to practice dentistry and I found out very rudely I have to run a business. Right. Well, the joy here is that if you actually, uh, if you actually believe these things and you allow and require your practice manager to become a practice leader, we can teach that manager how to start leading and we can teach you how to lead the manager and, and lead so you have a leader leader situation. <clears throat> I mean, I think. And then I we teach everyone else how to lead. Yeah. At the end of the day, every human wants a better life, right? They want more time. They want better relationships. They want more meaning in what they do. They want, you know, more yeah. money, right? Autonomy, so, mastery, and purpose. I want, exactly. to, I want autonomy. I want mastery. And I want, I want to know that this is meaningful. Right. So this is a human quest. I mean, every human being, doesn't matter whether you go to dental school or, you know, architecture school or no school. At the end of the day, we want kind of the same things we want more meaning 
have better relationships, you know, yep. be more successful and, and be more happy, right? Yeah. So you're going back to the fundamentals of, you know, like, like what every human is searching for. But see, you, that sounds too simple in there. And let's, let's, let's uh, instead, let's buy a new machine and let's figure out how to create a better assembly line process for shoving people through and let's get our scheduling better. I think all those things are good, but here's what the research says. When you make people happy and you, and you, and you create an environment where they can be fully human, they will figure out how to make the assembly line process work better. They will figure out how to get more patients through in a, in a better, more higher quality way where the patients are happier. They will fix the production. When you take care of the people, they take care of the production. And we've got it backwards. And again, this, this poison comes from the factory system. Let's make a better machine. And if we make a better machine, we'll have better productivity. Well, the research continues to show that when you take care of the people who run the machine, they will, they will create more productivity. When you just focus on the machine, it flatlines. Right. So you can see how this works out in a, in a dental practice. Now the, the practice leader goes to the, uh, circles the wagons and says, okay, before front office, it was manager report. Now it's going to be leader, leader. You guys are better at what goes on in the front office than I am. I'm in and out of there. You know exactly what's going on all the time. You own the front office. It's your cost center now. It's your profit center. You'll get paid based on what you guys produce and your metrics and productivity and your results. And I'm going to help you figure all that stuff out. But basically, it's going to be leader, leader. You're going to come to me and tell me. You're going to say, we found this problem, and here's how we think we can solve it. And then I'm going to ask you hard questions until we both agree that you've got a good process. And here's the final place where this goes to. At some point, you get to the point where these people are so trustworthy that you say to them, you know what, for these kinds of problems, don't come to me anymore with your solution. I trust you. Every time you come to me with a solution now, you've got this figured out. You already are good at solving these things. So you, you identify the problem, you come up with a solution, go ahead and implement it without asking daddy. And then when you're done and you get a result, give me a report. I still want to be in the loop, but give me a report of how that solution came out for you. If I don't like the solution, then we'll go back one step and I'll train you more on how to develop solutions. But that's where people really feel their, their best autonomy is when the doctor trusts me to make these certain kinds of decisions now. I've been trained, he trusts me, and I'll just continue to give him a report that shows him he should continue to trust me because we're getting the right result. Makes, makes ton of sense. Yeah, but, but why don't we do it? You know, I think it's back to, I think your question is still out there. It's still hard. Why don't we do it? And I think we've identified a few things. We inherited this. Right. It's easier to tell people what to do. And I think a third one is the old command and control ego thing. And dental school doesn't help us with that either. Because we, we, we get turned into to a little bit of an egoist. And, and because I, I'm more educated, I'm clearly, uh, I've got one up on you that way. It's, it's a command and control. It's a power and authority thing for some people. I think this is a minority. But for some people, they don't actually ever want other people to have a brain. Because if you have a brain, then I'm less necessary. Right. And those are the people that, that generally will not adapt this. And I'm, I'm guessing it's 10 to 15 to 20% at, at, at the most. So I think one of the questions we haven't addressed yet that, that I'm sure some of the listeners are coming up with is, well, where do you find stakeholders? Where do you find these rare birds? 
And going back to Douglas McGregor's illustration and the 134 people that used to be stupid and lazy are now smart and motivated on that sub, the overwhelming majority of people will be smart and motivated if you allow it and or if you require it. We think it's well above 80%. But if you look in, in business and what we talked about on the air or off the air before we got started, Gallup says only only 30% of people at work are, are engaged. 70% are phoning it in. And yet I'm telling you that over 80% would, would be heavily engaged if we allowed it and or required it. I used to say allow it. I used to give, frankly, too much credit and say, hey, if you just allow people to grow up at work, they will. Well, the problem is we've treated them like children so long at work they actually like it. If you're going to pick up my socks, I'm going to let you. Why wouldn't I? If you're going to tell me what to do, there's a, there's a uh, you know, 50% plus of people at work today, if you just tell them what to do, they're happy because they got enough decisions to make at home. I'll come to work and turn my brain off, and I actually like that. So we have to announce this is no longer an option. For those of you who we've been holding back by telling them what to do, I'm sorry. <laughs> we're, going, you know, we're going to allow you now to have a brain, and they're going to cheer. And for the rest of you who have learned like we did for the last 100 years that you come to work and you don't think and you don't even want to think, that's no longer an option. We're all going to be adults. We're all going to be self-managed, self-directed adults who are able to make decisions and, uh, and we're all going to get there together. It's not an option. And when you put that in play, people will, will raise themselves up because they're allowed to or because they're required to. I don't want to lose my job. You'll find that this is not chaos. You don't lose people. It's not like everybody runs to the door. Data, the data shows that your, your, your practice metrics go right up. They don't go down a little bit to begin with. They go straight up. And, and people who used to not be engaged will be heavily engaged. And then you will find that one or two people who simply will never connect with this stuff because they don't want to grow up in any way. And usually they will quit because of the pressure of everyone else saying, hey, dude, you know, we're all adults here now. You grow up. Rarely do you even have to fire them. But the, well, the point of that rant is stakeholders are everywhere if you allow it and require it. So are employees. So are stupid and lazy employees. They're everywhere too if you allow and or require them to not think. Right. <clears throat> no, absolutely. This makes a ton of sense. Um, I really, really enjoyed talking to you. And I think we can keep talking. I think I think to be honest, you should have a mastermind group where we talk about these things because I think you have to almost brainwash yourself almost, right? Like, I mean, when I say... Uh -huh. Yeah, and you need to your point now, and there's so much information out there, and there's so much pressure for us to manage that right. we need to find those few people who are beginning to figure out what leadership is again and get, uh, and get close to them and have time with them. So we actually are developing those kinds of mastermind groups. Uh, we actually have one for practice leaders. We're starting, and it's more a, a loose network where we connect uh, the what used to be the practice manager, uh, now they're the practice leader. We'll, we'll, we'll connect them with another practice leader. I did one connection this morning from a, a practice in Miami, Florida to a practice in Idaho where these two people are both trying to figure out how to incentivize their front office. And they're going to get two or three more people involved. But that kind of thing, we want to formalize that into a mastermind group. And we've got these GOT summits that we do now once a quarter for dentists only. That's our focus. And uh, coming out of that, we expect that we will create mastermind groups. So they'll have two days of intensive, uh, uh, intensive 
uh, uh, therapy, if you will, a workshop on this kind of stuff. And then uh, we'll ask them to, if they want to get involved in a mastermind group and continue to talk with other uh, dentists who, uh, who, who believe this way as well, because that's, that's where you really find the, the value is in that community. We need a safe place. We say this about mastermind groups. I'm glad you brought that up. You need a safe place to say three magic words. I don't know. Right. Boy, that's, you know, that is not stuff we're taught to do in, in dental uh, school or anywhere else. We're taught when we come out, we know everything. Right. You need a safe place where, you, where everybody can wink at each other and say, yeah, you know what? None of us have this figured out. We're working on this together and I feel safe to bring it up here. And boy, that's powerful. I think, like you said, the programming, you know, from, you know, elementary school, you're told what to do. And, and we think that's what we are supposed to do when we become quote unquote leaders. Yep. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Ingrained in us from the time we are like five years old. And it's, yeah, I don't, I don't want dentists to feel bad. Like, holy cow, I've been horrible to my people. No, yeah. you've been done. You've been doing what you've been taught, what you saw and what you taught for what we're taught from birth. And, right. and that doesn't make it right. Just because the factory system existed doesn't make it the way that it should work. We don't have time for it today, but I could demonstrate to you that what we're talking about here is we're basically going back to where apprenticeships and small shops were before the industrial age where you actually had a brain and you went to work to figure out how to own your own business and, uh, and it was required that you think, we're just going back where we came from. So this is not new stuff, but the, we think it's new because we haven't heard it in the last 100 years. <coughs> right, right. Makes, makes there's, a, there's a groundswell of companies doing this. I can think of about 90 very large corporations who have decided, and some of them have been running this way for a couple of decades now, no managers, none. Leaders only. Nobody works for anybody. Nobody can fire anybody. The teams hire, the teams fire, the teams come up with all the process. There's plenty of large corporations doing this. We found hundreds of smaller ones doing it like our own. We, we run our business this way. And I really believe that within 10 to 20 years, this will be the normative way to run a business. We will finally have the industrial age behind us. Right. This is awesome. I really enjoyed our chat today, Chuck. Uh, if somebody wants to find out more about the God Summit, we're going to put all the links and all the contact information. Anything else you want to leave us with? Yeah, no, that's the big one. November 30th through December 2nd is our next one in Dallas. And there's still room. We keep them very small, very intimate. Uh, to that one, I encourage people to bring a, a leader or two because we're going to exp expand on these ideas. It's always good to bring your practice leader with you. Uh, so, yeah, gotsummit.com. But then you can just Chuck Blakeman. If you want to go on Twitter, it's at Chuck Blakeman. Facebook, you can put Facebook, Chuck Blakeman. Uh, ChuckBlakeman.com. You can find us there. And then Krista, <coughs> Krista Valentine, Krista at CranksetGroup.com. She, she can help if, if you want to engage us as a practice or bring us out to help you with a strategic planning session or a, a, we speak a lot in dentistry as well. So Krista with a K, K-R-I-S-T-A at CranksetGroup.com. Or you can find her on ChuckBlakeman.com as well. That's awesome. Thank you very much, Chuck. I really hey, appreciate it. Yeah, I had a lot of fun too. Thank you very much for your time. And thank you everyone for listening to another episode of the Growing Dentist Podcast Show.